believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. So tonight we pick it up in verse 13, and we're going to connect the, the narrow way. You will know them by their fruits, and Jesus saying, I never knew you. And the common denominator of these three different clusters of scriptures is they all really deal with heaven. In fact, the latter part we're going to see in a moment gives us insight to what can be said when people stand before the Lord in heaven. And so the first part tells us the way to heaven. The second part tells us those who would deceive a, a wrong way and to keep people from getting to heaven. And then the third part is a warning about what happens in heaven for people who didn't actually obey the Lord. So really that what connects all this together is heaven's reality. So we pick it up in verse 13 where Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And again, all this really deals with heaven. How do we get to heaven? Who's, who's trying to keep us from getting there? And how does that work? And then the warning to not be caught off guard when you get to heaven. So we'll just go in order with these passages. The first one, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. In fact, the first word, there's a key word with each one of these three segments. So the first one is just enter. That word enter just jumps out at you. Enter. The other one is beware. So you have an enter and a beware. And then the third one is not, like what's not going to happen. So the first word in all three of these segments really jumps out to me personally. Enter, beware, and not. So that's how we're going to really frame it and look at it tonight. So enter by the narrow gate. Jesus, of course, is the narrow gate. He's the door, the Gospel of John tells us, he's the, the door of entrance. There that last night with his apostles, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. 
Now, most of us here know that and believe that, but maybe not all of us, so it's important to understand that. In the marketplace of thought, where people present thoughts, and you can compare thoughts, when we compare the thoughts of religious leaders, Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, Moses, but Moses directed everyone to Jesus, so that's really kind of not fair to put Moses in there, but just the different world religions that have so much variation, Hinduism, just all these different things, and then you bring in human philosophies like Darwinism, Marxism, and communism, and these sorts of things that uh, shape our thinking. The marketplace of thought. You can bring all these different ideas, and you can come to a conclusion that not all these ideas could possibly be correct, particularly with world religions, because, of course, growing up in the 80s, I just always remember hearing that all roads lead to God. Now, being raised Catholic, I, was, I believed in Jesus as the Son of God, but when people say, like, well, that's just, that's just the way the Japanese worship God through Buddha, and, and that's just the way the Hindus worship God through, like, the many gods. And being ignorant of the scriptures and just being ignorant of world religions and what they believe, I'd just be like, well, that just seems odd to me, but, I, you know, it is what it is. And again, in my own world, going to Japan as a teenager and seeing the shrines and all this stuff, I'd be like, I'm not sure how that would work with Jesus. And then going to Bali, which is a Hindu island there in Indonesia, and actually going to a Hindu temple, going like, like, how does this dragon creature thing have anything to do with Jesus? Like, I would just naturally think that in just common sense, not even critical thinking. I'm just like, how does that all, like, how would that possibly work? And of course, not even being saved in the early 80s, but when the Muslim terrorists blew up the Beirut there, and they blew up all the couple hundred Marines, that was so shocking to all of us that are older. Like, I would, I remember seeing like, how, like, how could that, how could that be God? Like, how would God want these guys to drive a truck up and blow up all these people and say that's God? So in my own mind, in coming to a place of faith in Christ with a Catholic background, I would look at something done in the name of God, the Muslims, terrorists blowing up the Marines in Beirut, and I'd look at this Hindu temple and bawling, like, how's that work? And then I'd be in Tokyo looking at shrines and then having uh, the, the Book of Buddha in the... I remember tripping me out that the book of Buddha was in the hotel instead of Gideon's Bible. Like, just one of those things when you're traveling as a Western, you're like, well, that's, that's really different. You know, like, how, how can that be? And, and I had this. So these are different marketplaces of thoughts. But we'd hear, I always remember, always hearing the 80s, like, oh, all roads lead to heaven. Well, actually, they cannot possibly lead to heaven. And most of you know that, but these ideologies are diametrically opposed to each other. We can all be wrong, but we can't all be right. And when Jesus said, I am the way... He's the narrow gate. I am the truth, absolute truth, and the life, eternal life, abundant life, joyful life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is a very exclusive statement that eliminates the Hindu temple in Bali, the shrines in Tokyo, and Muslim terrorists blowing up Marines in Beirut and their theology. It eliminates that. Now, someone could say, well, I don't believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and so I I reject that. And you could say that, but the same person who would choose subjectively to say, I don't believe that, if they have any common sense and even reasonable cognitive skills, they'd have to conclude, though, the statement of Jesus becomes incredibly exclusive 
to being harmonized with world religions. So that same person who would say, I don't believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and life would have to say, I don't believe all roads lead to God either because Jesus clearly is in conflict with all these other world religions, so they can't possibly be harmonious. That would just be, that's not even critical thinking. That's just common sense in the marketplace of thought. In other words, they can all be wrong, but if Jesus is right, he's right, and they're all wrong, but they can't all be right. So we can't form faulty theologies objectively, because objective is facts. So when we study world religions, we know they can't all be right. They can all be wrong, but they can't all be right. Because this John 14, 6 right there says it all. And again, if you think of the early church, there's Peter and John before the religious leaders. And when they're on trial or given account for the miracle healing of the lame man there in Acts chapter 3, they say they're filled with the Spirit, and they say there's no other name given among men that is all humanity, human history, by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter 3 of John's Gospel, we have something very interesting, too, because John's Gospel is interesting because Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and then there can be some question as to the latter part of John, chapter 3. Is Jesus talking, or is this the narrative of the Holy Spirit through uh, the Apostle John recording it in the canon of Scripture? Can't say for sure. What we do know for sure is, it says this, He that has the Son has life. And has the father too. But he who does not have the son. Does not have the father. And the wrath of God abides upon them. That's the narrow gate. This is objective. Theological doctrinal truth. Of the New Testament scriptures. And the Bible's overall declaration. Because of course. There in the garden of Eden. Literal man. Adam and Eve the head of our race, 6,000 years ago, young earth, they chose to rebel against God, and they sinned. And death entered the universe, thus all die in Adam. And the death sentence is on all of us. So even when we're born, we're dying. Even as the universe is expanding with trillions of galaxies, it's expanding outward, but it's dying at the same time. That's entropy. It's a law of science. And the Bible tells us from within its own declaration that the whole universe is dying and everything in it is dying because Adam sinned on this planet as the head of our race. Thus, sin entered the universe and it's all dying. So until Christ comes and establishes the new heaven and the new earth, it's all dying. Trillions of galaxies in this universe are dying as they're being birthed, just like newborn babies are dying. I've got two grandkids here visiting from Florida this weekend and I'm looking at Remy right before service. He's this beautiful young boy five months old now. He's growing, but at the same time, he's dying. And he's dying because Adam sinned and brought sin on us. And in Adam, all sin and all die. And there in that first prophecy of Genesis 3.15, we're reminded that God promised that he would crush, that he would crush the serpent and he would promise the Messiah to come. And from that time on, Jesus was promised to come and crush Satan, who is that serpent of old, that dragon, Satan, as he's referred to in the Bible. And he's the father of lies. So remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, but Satan is the father of lies. Has God really said, the day you from the street, you will not die? He's a liar. 
He's a liar from the beginning. That's what Jesus said. He's the father of lies, and there is no truth in him. Even as Jesus is the light of the world, and God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It's impossible for God to lie. We're told that in the scriptures. It's completely contrary to his nature. Whereas Satan is the father of lies. In his fall from beauty, in the presence of the Lord, he became the father of lies. And everything he does is based upon lies and deceit. Thus we see, even in the end game for the end of the age, for humanity, the number one mark of the end game is deception, delusion, and deceit through the father of lies. The Bible makes that very clear. And there from Genesis 3 all the way to all the typologies of somebody has to die for the guilty. So Adam and Eve sin and animal's blood is shed and they understand the concept. You eat from this tree, you'll die. So they didn't die right then, but the death sentence entered the universe and upon their bodies and somebody had to die and an animal was sacrificed in their place. Then throughout these different covenants with Adam and Noah, of course, Abel brought a blood sacrifice when he, his brother Cain killed him. They understood this. And so the substitutionary sacrifice system went all the way through to the time that Christ came. And we know what he said on that last day. Well, not on the last day, but before the last day. You search the scriptures from them. You think they have life. You have life. He said this to the religious leaders. But they are that which declare me to you. And after he rose from the grave, he said to the apostles, all these things had to be fulfilled the Messiah had to come and fulfill the law, the prophets, and the Psalms of the Old Testament. So everything from Genesis to the New Testament, Malachi, are prophecies, typologies, and even theophanies where Christ appears in the Old Testament. And he fulfills it all when he comes born of the virgin without the sin nature that in Adam all sin and die, but in the second Adam all are made alive. He is born of the virgin. He does not have the sin nature in him like we all do, like Remy does, my grandson. And he... He lives a perfect sinless life. Again, remember the perfect toddler, the perfect junior high or middle schooler, perfect high school student, perfect college student, perfect man, perfect citizen. Jesus is light and in him is no darkness at all. And he never sinned. Jesus never sinned. So when he dies on the cross in our place, he is now paying the price for our sins. And the animal, the sacrifices of blood and bulls and goats could never take away the sins for humanity because as wonderful as animals are, they're not created in God's image, nor do they have the cognitive capacity to worship God and know God. Humanity is made in God's image. Humanity is the crown jewel of all of God's creation. You know, in this entire universe, not only is earth the center of the universe, which it is, the compound probability that life could exist on any planet is like one to like the... 10 trillionth power, like just the things that have to happen for us to have life on this planet to live. It's like the compound laws of probability are just insanity. This is it. With trillions of galaxies, this is the center of the universe. And the hairs on your head are the apple of Christ's eyes in this universe. You, you personally, Christ came and died for you. And in this universe with all these super galaxies and suns in our own galaxy, that would extend from our sun to Saturn right now, in all this incredible macro universe, you, you, the disciple of Jesus Christ, me, are the center of the universe. 
And here on this planet is where God came to die on the cross for our sins. It is here where sin brought death on the universe. It's here where the Son of God came to the universe to retract and nullify that death. And the blood of bulls and goats could never take that away. They spoke of things to come. Thus, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He connects Jesus to the Passover Lamb of the Old Testament. But a lamb is not created in man's image. A lamb doesn't wake up and have a cognitive understanding of God. But we do, because the Ecclesiastes tells us he's put eternity in our hearts. And there truly is a hole in our heart. And until we come to Christ, there's an incompleteness. And so Christ came, the narrow gate, the way, and he paid that price. That was the blood of a bull and goat could never do. And you can't die for your sins because you're already dying for your sins. You can't, I can't die for your sins to save you from your sins because I'm dying for my own sins, like every other human being that's ever lived. It has to be Christ, born of the virgin, without the sin in his DNA. See, we have sin in every cell of our body. Christ had sinlessness in every cell of his body. Humanity and deity is one. The son of man, the son of God. So when he dies on the cross and says it's finished, he means it's finished. He paid the price. So he changed the course of the universe with his death on the cross and his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel message is what alters the entire universe. And thus Romans 8 says that all creation is groaning for the redemption of all things, but we're the prize jewel of that redemption. It's not yet revealed what we will be, but when he comes in his glory, we will be in his glory. So when we think about the narrow gate, when we think about the way, the truth, and the life, and no other way, you, you can't even, when we just lay out the gospel message and God revealing himself and the gospel message to humanity from the dawn of creation to the fall, when you put this out here with world religions, let alone like the, the lies and the seed of people like Darwin and Marx and these, these people who plot evil and wink the eye and shuffle the feet, it's, it's just incompatible. Jesus is light. This is darkness. This is justification. This is condemnation. This is heaven. This is hell. This is life. This is death. This is Jesus. This is Satan. Because we're either governed by Jesus or we're governed by Satan. I bought the song again recently, Bob Dylan, Slow Train Coming. You're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil and it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Dollar twenty-nine Apple Music. I bought the album in the 80s, and I remember when I bought the album in the 80s at Warehouse Records, you know what they told me? It's not really the Bob Dylan you know. And I said, I know, and that's why I'm buying it. (laughs) Slow train coming. It's out there on Apple Music. You can grab it. So Jesus says, enter by the narrow way. There are no other ways. For wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go thereby. You want to go to hell? Do nothing. You want to go to heaven? Repent and trust in Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior. My son-in-law, Nate Gallagher, taught a message last week at Vero Beach, filling in for his dad, because his dad was here in California doing the married couples retreat for Bill Welsh and refuge. And Nate's message was, did you share the gospel? Because he just taught Acts to the youth group, and I was there when he was teaching the Acts to the youth group. And he's like, "Did did you share the good news? That's our primary purpose. The church's primary good purpose on earth is to share the good news, to know it, and then to live it and to share it. Enter by the narrow gate. 
I believe most of us are entering by the narrow gate. But it's not rocket science. If you got Jesus, you got life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. It's, it's that simple. Either we're saved or we're not. It's that simple. That's why Jesus said, unless you have the faith of a child, you can by no means enter the kingdom of God. My daughter Hannah is here tonight, and she won't remember it, but I remember it when we lived in Hillridge Court, our second house in Virginia Beach. I remember coming home, and she was two, and her vocabulary was thousands of words at two. She'll tell the other siblings she is the smartest one in the room, although Luke is the, the genius. But I'll never forget, I got home, and she said, Daddy, I asked Jesus into my heart today. And I, now listen, that's exactly what you think. I got, oh, and she goes, no, I mean it. That's what she said. John Corson would tell you he gave his life to Christ at the age of two as well. You would underestimate a five-year-old and their ability to comprehend Christ unless they were dying of cancer. Then you'd suddenly realize Well, of course, they can understand things. Zippy's four, our granddaughter, and she can count to 20 now. So her math and her world is one to 20. Now, when she's in third grade, it'll be different math, right? Seventh grade, different math. High school, different math. Maybe college, different math. But it's all math. So the whole cycle we go with the life of Jesus is that receiving Christ, the good news of believing he truly died for us. He's our Savior. Because what did Gabriel say to Mary? You'll call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Savior is his name. And we start out with a very simple math, and then we might understand all these deep things of the things of God as we go through trials and tribulations of the human experience and all the things that you face if you live a rich, full life. But in the end, you end up like Billy Graham in your late 90s, and you might get a little fuzzy, but he's just, he's just telling you about Jesus and having your faith and trust in Jesus like a childlike faith. And true to the human experience, if you live long enough, you'll start out in diapers, and you will end in diapers. That is an absolute fact of the human experience. If you live long enough, that's the way it'll go. So we can receive Christ at two like Hannah, or you can receive Christ like the thief on the cross in the last moments of life, or you can receive Christ uh, on your deathbed and responding with, you know, tapping and saying, yes, I believe that or something, and these things happen. Or you can receive Christ with a full understanding of what that means in your life and you can live a rich, full life for Jesus, which is ideal because then you're able to fulfill to the fullness those things that he has intended for our life. Coming up on 34 years now since I've received Christ into my life. Many of you, it's longer than that. Some of you, of course, it's shorter than that. But we enter by the narrow gate. Jesus is the narrow gate. And he's the only gate by which we go to heaven. That's what I like about memorials. Memorials are pretty intense, funerals and memorials. we got a couple coming up this week. And there's a spiritual battle for all of them. But the thing about memorials, it brings eternity to everybody. And I can get up, or Anthony Dean can get up. He's doing his first memorial next week, Pastor Anthony. 
And no matter all that's going on, all I need to do is present the gospel of Jesus Christ in truth to the people there. And I know in presenting Jesus that I'm presenting what they need to hear. I don't have to work something up. I don't have to conjure something up. I don't have to whip up some recipe, some motivational speech. You know, I'm not like Lincoln going to Gettysburg or something. No, I just, I just show up and I share Jesus. And the Holy Spirit confirms to everybody there that Jesus is truth, Jesus is the way, and he's the resurrection and the life, and you're going to stand before him, and you can stand in glory or stand in condemnation, but you will stand. And memorials make everyone think about eternity, so not only that, it becomes a home game. Because when there's mirth and partying, everyone's like, whoo, house music, boom, 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 boom. You're like, no one's thinking about eternity. When they're sitting in the sanctuary, like they're going to be here on Tuesday, they're going to be thinking about eternity. And as a minister of the gospel, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I, you, me, we, we have the answers for eternity. That's a glorious thing that a two-year-old can understand the gospel. A fuzzy 98-year-old and anyone in between who's willing to soften their heart and respond to Jesus Christ. And, you know, we're not trying to direct people to a religious system. It's not like I get up and try and convert someone to, like, Jesus plus Mormonism or Jesus plus Jehovah's Witnesses or something or whatever you can come up with. <laughs> Just give, give him Jesus. The thief on the cross needed Jesus who was right next to him. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.